Welcome to the Nurse Leader Network podcast with your host, Chris Racinos. Wherever you're going on your nurse leader journey, we're here to help you get there. Welcome, everybody, to the Nurse Leader Network podcast. If you haven't noticed, we did skip an episode last week, and I'd like to share with you why we are in the midst of the coronavirus epidemic. As you can imagine, for the past several weeks, I spent virtually every waking moment at my healthcare facility prepping up for what's to come. And I figured I would take today to share with you all um, some ways that nurse leaders can lead through this time. So on today's episode, we're going to talk about what the coronavirus is, how it's affecting the world. We'll describe what some of the healthcare implications are and how you as a nurse leader can lead through this pandemic. We'll talk a little bit about myths of the coronavirus and how we can help dispel them. And then I'm going to share with you how to use your voice as a nursing leader to help flatten the curve. So why don't we go ahead and just get jump in and get started. So coronavirus was coined in 1968, and the reason for that is because when you look at the virus with an electron microscope, it looks just like um, a crown. They call it corona-like. Up until 2003, it really only caused the common cold in humans. But in 2003, that's when the SARS coronavirus epidemic occurred and when we realized the true magnitude of what a coronavirus could do. It spread by droplets. When it initially came out in China, we weren't exactly sure how it spread. Um, There was a lot of talk and chatter about it being airborne, but um, we now know that it's spread by droplets. And we know that symptoms appear between 2 and 14 days of exposure. The top symptoms include fever, cough, and shortness of breath. There have been reports of um, having GI symptoms, so diarrhea, um, you know, that are leading up to that. And so um, there's a couple different ways we might see it. The most common presentation includes a fever, cough, and shortness of breath. As of the time of this recording, there are about 330,000 confirmed cases throughout the world. The United States has about 33,000 of those, and we've had about 416 deaths related to the coronavirus. Now, you may or may not know, but in China, there's actually varying levels of morbidity and mortality. We have seen rates as little as 0.8. 7% in some of the areas outside of the epicenter. And then in the epicenter, there's been reports of it being 5 to 6%. And so you can see how it really varies. And experts really believe that that's related to the foundation and framework of the healthcare system and the capacity in terms of being able to take care of those that need the care. So you probably know why you should care, but let's talk about why you should care. You're not immune. Um, The youngest patient to die was reported in the news yesterday. was 34 years old here in Los Angeles. Um, There is no cure. There's no vaccine. You can become a vector and without even knowing it, transmit it to your family, your friends, your loved ones, and strangers. The predictions are showing that about half of the population will likely be infected with COVID-19 in California, and our healthcare system won't be able to meet the demand. And so that's why you've heard a lot about social isolation, about flattening the curve, and we'll talk a little bit about what that means and and how you can help do that. The biggest impacts that we're seeing in healthcare and and that you'll see as a nurse leader um, are really around three big points. 
The first point is around surge demand. Um, It's going to be the deepest in critical care. If we look at what's happening in China and Italy, we're seeing that critical care is really highly impacted. The second issue is um, there's definitely going to be shortages in healthcare workers. We already had a shortage. And now with folks contracting COVID-19 and us having to limit folks that have been exposed, burnout, being tired, all of these things are going to relate to healthcare worker shortages here in Los Angeles and throughout all of California. We've closed our schools, and that's just another reason that we are not able to get all of the healthcare workers that we need to get into the workforce. There's also shortages in supplies and equipment that are going to limit our ability to take care of folks. The third um, dilemma is really around testing, screening, and isolation. And so we'll talk about what those three are and what you can do as a nurse leader. So in terms of surge capacity, um, I like to bucket it into two things. There's the health system's capacity, and then there's our people's capacity. You may or may not have seen, but there's a picture going around the internet, and they have converted their parking structure into a bay with beds and equipment um, to take care of patients. So as a nurse leader, you really need to ask yourself wherever you're stationed at, what is your current capacity at your healthcare facility If your facility is part of a system, what's that capacity throughout that system? What's the capacity of the metropolitan area that's either you're in or that you are near? And what is the capacity of the state that you're in in terms of being able to help one another when the critical care shortage begins? We're seeing in New York, there's talks about having uh, the convention center changed over. And a lot of folks are comparing the COVID outbreak to the 1913 uh, Spanish flu and if we look back at history, you know, they were converting all kinds of different facilities into healthcare facilities to help with the demand. And so really as a nurse leader, it's important to take charge and look at what it is that you can do within your health system. In California, we just found out that we did not need to submit a waiver to change 5% capacity of our bed. So now, for those of you in California and other medical, um, other states that may be having the same type of legislation passed or the same type of regulations um, uh, not enforced or enforced. It's really important to look at how many of your regular beds or step-down beds you can convert into critical care. And then looking at your workflow, it's really important to look at how fast or how easily can you set up an ad hoc isolation room. So you need to get with your facilities folks, look at airflow, and look at making entire units negative pressure It is possible. You might hear that it's not possible, but I guarantee it's possible. I see healthcare facilities doing that. And then another piece of the health system surge capacity is looking at what that impact might be on non-essential departments per se. And so an example of that would be a department that does maybe elective surgical cases. What does that impact? How can you redeploy that staff to provide safe care in other areas? So you might take folks that are working in the OR that do elective surgical cases, and you could help them do screenings at the front entrance of your facility for COVID, or um, you could help deploy them in different ways. Or if they have a background in um, critical care or med surge or um, some other type of nursing, I mean, really tap into and look at your people. That leads me to the, the people capacity. So really important to sit down and look at what your projected staffing might be. If you're you know expecting to expand your ICU capacity or your step-down capacity, what is a staff requirement going to take? And, you know, reach out to your contractors and look at getting your flexible staff now. Do not wait until you need it because by the time you need it, there's going to be a drought. And so really looking at what your needs are going to be, time to explore different models of care. So do we look at having um, 
all nurses in ICU like we currently do? Or do we want to look at having nurses and a combination of other healthcare professionals that can help out um, in that space? And so it might look different for every facility, but really looking at being flexible and open to different models of care. Also really important to look at what those other vital health departments look like. So for example, EVS, how can we support them? How do we redeploy them to a unit that might be designated as a COVID unit? Food and nutrition, how do we support them? How do we make sure we're getting disposable trays um, for the contact isolation that comes with COVID? And lab, what are we doing around lab? Are there jobs that one person can do when they go in? So for example, if EVS is going in to clean the room, um, can they also bring in the pitcher of water or vice versa? If the nurse is going into the room to give medications, can they also pull the bag of biohazard out to limit the exposure um, to these patients? Also important as a nurse leader to look at how you redeploy your staff in terms of telework. So if you have folks that are doing remote work and telework, what types of jobs and what types of work can you give them that'll be impactful? And then for those that have to be physically there to provide care, how can you provide adequate social distancing? And so an example of that might be if your cafeteria is still open, that you put down strips of tape six feet apart for you know where people would line up to pay for their food. Or in a unit, you might look at how can we you know ensure that there's only a certain number of staff at a nurse's station to make sure that we have that social distancing in place so that we can protect the people that we have in our hospitals. The next um, dilemma that I said we would talk about was um, sh- shortages of supplies and equipment. So um, you may have seen a Facebook post that's been going around, and it was a, of a bunch of nurses who decided to bring all of their IV pumps outside of the room of the COVID patients so they wouldn't have to change in and out of PPE. And so that is a really creative way to look at how to conserve your PPE. You also want to make sure that folks are using it appropriately. So I know you know, many, it's just really, really scary time right now. And so some people seen wearing two masks or two sets of gloves or things that we know the evidence shows won't make you any more protective and it's wasteful. And so really keeping a mind out for that and really being able to have a conversation with your staff around proper PPE. Are there policies that need to be put in place to, to reduce waste, to ensure that there's responsible use, to prevent hoarding? So, I mean, do you want to make sure that doing a sign-out process if you're short on wipes? Or what would that look like for your facility? And are there policies that need to be in place so that you make sure you're not creating waste? Another important thing to think about as a nurse leader is how to make sure you're equally uh, distributing supplies across a unit. So yes, we have a COVID unit. Yes, we know that that unit may take more PPE, but making sure that there's adequate PPE for all hospital staff is super something super important. Really important to go back and look at what your, your supply chain looks like. What does tracking look like? What does transportation look like? What does their capability of the manufacturers in order to give you supply? Get into those conversations now so that you can plan for the future. Another thing is what substitutes can be used. So in that uh, scenario I shared with you about the IV poles being outside of the room, you'll need to have an extender for those IV lines. And that extender is an MRI. Typically, it's an MRI um, extender that you'll use for patients when they're going into MRI. And so looking at do substitutes like that work? If they work, what is the supply and the availability of the suppliers to get you those types of substitutes? And then worst case scenario, um, which I hope we do not get to, but really we need to be realistic. Worst case scenario, if we have to ration healthcare supplies, 
who should be involved in making those decisions. So this should not be made in isolation. You know, you really need to be sitting down and having those conversations. What I can tell you about the supplies and equipment is I've seen some really innovative things. I've seen um, in um, California put something on their social media around um, their their folks are actually sewing and creating masks in the event that they have to be deployed. So people aren't doing things like bringing in um, bandanas and having to wear scarves and things like that. And so these are all different ways that you could look at PPE and how to get it um, when you need it. There are also a couple different organizations that are supplying it. So um, Harbor Freight, I think, is a one company that I saw something coming out of in terms of being able to help out with PPE. Now's really the time to lean on the community. If you're in a healthcare system or facility that you really are anticipating not being able to have enough PPE. And so when I say rely on the community, I mean, churches are um, donating masks. And I'm seeing barbershops and nail salons that have masks and gloves donating their stuff. I'm seeing um, schools that are donating masks um, that they maybe have would have used in like a bio class. So there's there's a ton of folks that really do want to help. And so as a nurse leader, look to your community and see what is out there so that you could begin planning. The The biggest dilemma after that is um, the testing screen in isolation. And so we know here in the United States, our testing has not been where it needs to be. Um, you know, we need to look at as a nurse leader, who are we determining gets to test first? Is it the most critically ill? Is it the ones that, um, you know, it's going to change the course of their medical management? What are the folks are? Are they healthcare workers? Who is it that we want to be um, screening first? How do you protect the staff that are doing the testing? So we've seen a lot of pop-up drive throughs go through with testing. And so making sure that those staff are adequately um, protected as they're doing the testing I would say look to community partners so that you could maximize it as well. If you're in a facility where you just don't have the bandwidth, look to community partners and see what they could help you out with. It's really important to create a program for how to screen your patients, your visitors, and the staff. Um, CDC is really recommending that we don't even have visitors. And so I know, I actually don't know any hospital in, uh, in Southern California anyways that still allows visitors. They really have a no visitor policy. Um, and so looking at how do we screen folks that come in, vendors, that kind of thing. And then the, the last piece is really we've done some really late work around social isolation policies. And, you know, we're seeing a lot of non-adherence to the recommendations throughout our nation. And so not just the nation, throughout the world. And so really important as a nurse leader to get our voices out there around how important it is to utilize um, social distancing and social isolation. You may have heard about flattening the curve, and so um, I'll just kind of give you a quick overview of what that is. If we were to allow, you know, life to go on as normal, so no social distancing and, you know, none of this um, trying to keep patients cohorted and that kind of thing, we would reach a level of critical care needs that is over tenfold what our, we actually have. And so we would be in a situation where, like I spoke about earlier, we don't have enough health care to meet the demands, and that's going to lead to more death. And so it's really important for us to be proactive in getting people to flatten that curve by staying away from one another, by not going out. Um, I've heard um, families say, okay, well, I'm just going to come to your house or you're my family or neighbors try and visit. And it's just really important to not leave your home at this time unless it's to get groceries, unless it's to see a doctor because you need to go to the emergency room, unless it's to pick up your prescription you should be staying home. It is our 
duty to take care of um, each other. And it's our duty as human beings to make sure that we're not flooding the system because what will happen is when you need it, we won't be there. Next, I'd like to talk a little bit about some myths. And so myths that I'm hearing, and it's just important as nurse leaders that we can speak to this, is number one, it only affects the old. Um, We, like I said earlier, we had a case here in Southern California of somebody who was 34 years old. Um, And so it doesn't just affect the old. And we're actually beginning to see in other countries that it's affecting toddlers and preschoolers as well. The second thing I'm hearing is, well, it's like the flu. And it's not like the flu. And I'll tell you why. Because when we have the flu, we are not closing schools. We're not seeing mortality rates that high. Um, We have a vaccine for the flu and we have treatment for the flu. And we don't have any of that right now for the coronavirus. Second thing that's a myth really is that we have to wear N95s. Again, like I shared earlier, when this all first came out, airborne precautions were the standard because we really weren't sure what caused it or what was, um, you know, how it spread. And we now know that it really is droplet. And so droplet and contact precautions are the precautions we should be utilizing unless you're doing something that causes aerosolization. And so if you're intubating or giving a nebulizer treatment or something like that, that's when you'll put the N95 on. But for typical care, you're going in to give, um, you know, a PO medication. You don't need to wear an N95. You'll be safe with a surgical mask and contact precautions. Another myth is that it affects women and men equally. And so that's not what we're seeing when we look at the cases out of China. Only about 21% of the folks that passed away from the coronavirus were women. The majority of them were men, and the majority of them were over 60 to 70 years old. In Italy, we're seeing it different. We're seeing a younger population. In the United States, we're seeing we're definitely seeing a younger population. So you might be saying, well, you know, Chris, I'm not a nurse leader yet, or I don't have a title yet, or I'm not an administration. I'm not a manager. I don't know what I can do. And so here's a couple of things that I would tell you. I'd tell you, number one, if you're still able to go to work because you're not furloughed, and you have the proper PPE at your facility, I would say go in. Um, Make sure you're utilizing uh, hand hygiene. Make sure you're utilizing PPE. But we as nurses are prepared to take care of these types of things as long as we have our equipment to do so. And we want to make sure that we're there and helping flattening the curve. Uh, The second thing is, well, you know, maybe Chris, I am not at the front line. I don't work in a hospital. I work in a different kind of setting. There's not really a whole lot I can do. I'm here to tell you, you can do a lot. You are a nurse. You can give remote assistance. For example, you might reach out and work with um, nursing leaders at an organization um, or an education coordinator on things like how to help them with workflows, how to help them with screening processes. Um, You could advocate for adequate PPE. So, you know, organize a PPE collection or help launch a PPE campaign where you guys are creating PPE for donation if it's needed. You can work on simulation and how do we take what we're learning from COVID and bring it to nursing students so that they are prepared to deal with this when the next pandemic comes. You can utilize your your professional titles. And we all know nursing is the most trusted profession. Let's use that to help spread knowledge and debunk myths around the coronavirus. So super important to remind family, friends, neighbors, virtually, of course, um, what those symptoms are, why it's important to stay at home. So if they have a fever, a cough, um, and, and they're breathing okay, and you know they feel okay, and they're just kind of under the weather, tell them to stay home. There's no cure. There's not a lot we can do for you in the emergency department. 
If, though, you are critically ill where you'll need a hospital um, inpatient, then that's when it's time to go to the hospital. But if it's just kind of your typical flu-like symptoms and you're not feeling too terrible or, you know, you're not having issues with breathing, it's really important just to stay home. It's also important to make sure, you know, as we stay home, people tend to develop isolation or cabin fever. And so as a nurse, you can share with people different things they can do to help with their mental health. So things like playing board games with families, uh, writing and creating thank yous for frontline healthcare grocery folks, safety folks, and sanitation workers. My kids um, for the past two days have been making thank you notes to my nurses just to give them, you know, words of encouragement. Uh, you can reorganize your house. I, I look, I'm sitting here looking at my closet and wishing that I had time to do things like organize. You can tell stories. There's, there's so many stories that, you know, we have to share with younger generations. And so it's a great opportunity to do that. Uh, movie time is always fun. So um, really just making some popcorn and hanging out with the family. So many different organizations. So Disney and Netflix are releasing all kinds of things that would have been in theaters that we could go ahead and, and look at now. Um, and then, you know, exercise. It's really good. You can do inside exercising or you can, you know, go outside and make sure you maintain your social distancing while you do that. So walk your dog around the block. That's okay. Another thing we can do as nurses is um, use social media. It's a wonderful platform where we can share and spread the truth about transmission. Um, I've seen a, a lot of different pictures floating around from nurses saying, we come to work for you, so you need to stay home for us. And so, you know, that's a perfect example of how to utilize your voice and really highlight the importance in the community for people to stay home. As nurse leaders, we know how to use data we can utilize that data and look at projections, current activities that are going on in other states and other countries, and really highlight the critical care shortages and what those needs are that we have. Another big thing is really defining for people what social distancing is. It's really a new term. People really haven't heard it. And so super important for us to be very specific. So social distancing might look like you only go out for groceries one time a week. And when you do, you socially distance when you're out there. And then um, another p great way to use social media is to really create something like a hero campaign where you're highlighting everyday heroes and folks that are on the front lines, um, you know, coming to work every day and fighting this battle of COVID. So really just highlighting them and giving them the thanks that they deserve. We talked a little bit about PPE, but just a reminder, um, you should be using droplet and contact precautions for persons under investigation PUI. And so that includes surgical mask with a shield or goggles, a gown, and gloves. For those that are confirmed um, COVID or you have PUI that has aerosolizing procedures, so that's intubation or nebulizers, you want to go airborne. And that's when you're going to put that N95 or PAPR on, face shield and goggles, gowns, and gloves. Like I said earlier, the CDC is reporting that in worst case scenarios, homemade masks, bandanas, and scarves um, could be used. But again, we we don't really know the efficacy of those, and so really important to start practicing conservation now with the equipment that you have. We know hand hygiene is the biggest piece of this, so you know remember that you're going to perform hand hygiene when you're donning or doffing, after all patient care, anytime you touch any common areas. Um, the right way to do it is 20 seconds, and that can be achieved by singing happy birthday two times, so you sing happy birthday to yourself two times. Make sure you get in and underneath my fingernails. Another thing you can do if you don't want to do the happy birthday song, I did it for a couple of days and realized it was driving me a little crazy, um, is just think about three things that I was grateful for that day. And so that plays on not only the hand hygiene, but also on your mental health. And then the last piece is 
really limiting touching your face. It's a bad habit that I actually have. So I ask people to remind me when they see me touching my face. And you do the same. If you see somebody touching your face, just remind them, hey, put your hands down, go wash your hands. So mental health is another big topic. Uh, With staffing shortages that are limiting capacity, we're going to see increased stress, anxiety, and burnout in our nurses. And that's exactly what we do not want. So as a nurse leader, you know, it's really important to sit down and take inventory of what emotional support your staff need. Is it conversations um, to help with their anxiety? Is it conversations to help them make decision making about um, PPE? Is it um, tea for the soul where you guys just sit down and, you know, talk about what's going on? Is it a um, referral to employee assistance program? Is it restructuring spaces so that there are opportunities for rest to combat worker fatigue? So what does that look like? And Prior episodes, we talked about having a wellness pod where you could go in and there was just music and aromatherapy. It's a really important piece of making sure that our workers and our staff feel that they have the emotional support that they need. For anybody who has an NPI, Headspace is actually offering a free app. Um, Their app, so their full app, you can get it for free. And for those that don't have an NPI, they're offering um, a version of their app that talks about leading and managing through a time of chaos. And so it's a great thing that I recommend in terms of being more mindful. And then always Mindful Mondays and Thankful Fridays. On Monday, huddle with your team. Talk about what struggles they may be going through, what support they may need, and what that looks like. And then on Fridays, wrap it up with how, you know, you thank somebody for doing something to help you out or something that you're thankful for. Another big piece that we know contributes to mental health in our front line is really communication. So what does a communication look like? Is there a forum for the frontline folks to have direct contributions and direct conversations with managers, directors, executives? And then how does that information flow back to them? What what are you doing to structure in your organization so that daily you have a flow from frontline to executives and executives down, that could look like rounding. It could look like tiered huddles. There's a lot of different ways you could do that, but really important that every day some form of communication is coming out to help your staff. So another thing you could do right now is really a perfect time to get involved in policy and politics. One way is looking at across the healthcare continuum. We know in California that there is a new long-term care facility uh, regulation that requires us to do two COVID testings within 24, uh, outside of 24 hours. They both have to be negative, and so that obviously is going to cause a backflow into the inpatient space. So what can we do to maximize capacity in those types of scenarios? Re-looking at your visitor policies, um, what can we do to help patients stay in touch with their loved ones? So is there availability to get them on FaceTime through tablets so they can connect with others? Or is there a time where we can schedule and dedicate having call their loved ones? Now's a great time to really advocate for advanced practice provider independent practice. I know here in California we have that proposed and, you know, it's a really good time to look at, hey, we have shortages and these folks are part of the solution. So why are we not acting on it? It's really important to get involved in nurses and PPE. So I like to think of nurses and PPE as soldiers are to their army. We can't, to their armor, we can't do our work without it. So how do we optimize the PPE we have and how do we optimize making sure that we have adequate supply? Looking at policies around bringing healthcare workers back after they're returning to work. So it might've been because of childcare. It might've been because of an illness, but how do we reintegrate them into the work system? Looking at insourcing. So what can we do in-house that we were waiting on other people with? And like I said, They just decided to start creating their own masks. 
And then workflows. What workflows need to be changed? You know, are you cohorting with COVID disease on a certain unit? Or are you, you know, separating an ICU into two pieces, the the half that has folks that are in that have COVID-19 and the half that don't, um, but really looking at your workflows and how you can make them easy for your frontline. So we've talked a whole about a whole lot of different things that you can do as a nurse leader, whether you're a nurse leader on the frontline or you're a nurse leader outside of the frontline. But uh, the purpose of the talk today was just to tell everybody, number one, thank you. I know this is, I think, day 19 straight for me. And so I know you guys are all working as hard as you possibly can. And this is probably one of the most challenging times in your life because it's something that we've never experienced in our lifetime. And so, again, I just want to say thank you for all of the hard work that you're doing. We will get through this together and we're going to learn a whole lot from it so that we're more prepared the next time we have a pandemic. But I'm going to be jumping back into work soon. And so I'll leave it at that. But wanted to say thank you for the great work you're doing. Not all superheroes wear capes. All the ones that I know wear scrubs, and I'm tremendously appreciative of them. So signing off until the next episode. See you later.